Hello and welcome to episode 392 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. I'm Ben Olson. With me is Nathan Fox. We're the co-founders of LSATdemon.com and the LSAT Demon Daily podcast. If you want to be LSAT famous, you can share news and ask questions on our website. That's thinkinglsat.com. This is going to air on Monday, March 6th. A few days later, Nathan, you're going to be doing a free class. Oh, I'm going to be there as well. This is the you parents' are. night. Special yeah. guest. Yeah. So this is Thursday, March 9th, 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. If you have any parent who doesn't understand this process, which I'm assuming is going to apply to most of you, and they're interested in your law school journey, please have them come to this class. They can sign up at lsat.link forward slash Nathan. But both of us will be there, and we're going to explain exactly how you can go to law school for free. You know, I think it's a nice thing you can do for your parents, potentially. Like, I don't know, if you're like me, you might struggle sometimes to connect to your family. Um, and, you know, your folks, I'm sure they want to be proud of you. And this is an opportunity for them to, you know, be involved in you going to law school and yeah, they're going to learn a lot of stuff about the process. You, you might both learn stuff about the process that you don't currently know. Um, namely, I mean, most importantly, I think we're going to talk about two things. The LSAT's just huge importance in law school admissions. And two, the price that you could pay or not pay to go to law school. And we're, we're not talking about a few thousand dollars. We're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. That people don't really know this. Law schools certainly don't talk about it, but it's possible to go to law schools, even top law schools for free. Yep. Zero dollars, not fifty five thousand dollars a year annual tuition for three years. Zero dollars. That's what we really want to talk about with your folks. Yeah. I mean, and. Your parents may or may not be planning to help you with law school expenses. Um, my parents did. They helped a little bit. Uh, so even if they're planning to help just a little bit, <laughs> they may end up helping you a lot more by really understanding this process and seeing how they could save thousands of dollars and you could save thousands of dollars. So, When is that? That's this Thursday, March 9th at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. Go to lsat.link forward slash Nathan. You can also just go to lsatdemon.com if you create a free account there uh, and then click on classes. You'll see it. Awesome. Let's jump in. We have this New York LSAC law form coming up. We wanted to talk to the audience. Uh, just put it on your calendar. Save the date. Friday, <laughs> okay. October 13th. Saturday, October 14th. Yep. Ben and I are planning to be in New York City coinciding with the New York Law School Admission Council Law School Forum. So there's going to be tons of schools. LSAC will be there and we're going to be there. We don't have any details about that yet. We do need a venue. Uh, so if you have uh, any kind of a connection in it's in Manhattan, right? Where is this thing again? What's that? Yeah, it's at the Hilton, I think. Or there's probably like 10 Hiltons in the city. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> not super helpful it's just what i remember new york hilton midtown okay uh 1335 avenue of the americas we uh ben and i will be there uh teaching 
some sort of a class. Well, I guess we're going to start with just like a meetup, huh? Listener, student meetup Friday night. Yeah. Yeah. And then Saturday, we're going to do a uh, class. Me, Ben, yep. some of our other teachers, potentially. Yeah, that's what I'd hope. Yeah, it'd be yeah fun to I would hope them. so, too. Oh, hopefully we'll have a, a demon, a demon palooza. <laughs> I think that's what we're talking about here. Yeah, Steven Palooza. Yeah, Friday, yeah. October 13th, Saturday, October 14th. We're not sure exactly what that's going to look like yet, but please reach out if you're excited. Uh, just talk to us on our website, thinkinglsat.com. Yep. Great. Any, anything else about that? I guess we were, I, I wanted to ask if anybody has connections on like facilities that we might want to consider using. Obviously we'd pay for whatever, but if you have kind of connections and you can think of a good venue Maybe somebody's like a restaurant owner or something. You know, there's things that we could potentially do. So talk to us, please. Uh, just get in touch at thinkinglset.com. Yeah, it's been a long time since we've done a class together. Um, we've done them all over the place, Vegas, New York, Chicago. But uh, boy, it's fun to do these classes in New York and to have meet people in person and just like hang out and then do yeah. live classes. Yeah. Chris, uh, demon teacher, Chris was raving about his experience in Houston, Texas, uh, last weekend. Mm. He did the junior jumpstart jumpstart program with, uh, Cleo over there. Yeah. And he, what did he say? He said, um, yeah, he was acknowledging that it was our first live class or like in-person class since COVID. And he said, um, yeah, there's something truly magical about watching students appreciate for the first time how simple the LSAT can be. Mm -hmm. It was a very humbling and moving experience. Um, I have those moments in Zoom classes as well, but uh, mm -hmm. it is nice to get together with some fellow humans in the flesh once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll sure. be in New York. It'll be fun. Yep. All right. This first email here is from David. The subject is taking a step back to leap farther. Good morning, Ben and Nathan. I've been listening to both of your podcasts for a while now and have recently started prepping for the test. I scored a 166 on my diagnostic, which I think is pretty good. I hope to end up in the top law school. Sorry, I hope to end up in a top law school in New York City and not pay for it. I want to work my way up to at least a 175 plus. However, I find that since I've slowed down on the test, although I am way more accurate, I'm not finishing nearly as many questions leading to lower scores. Should I worry about this or have you seen students naturally speed up as they study more? Thank you for everything, especially the bonus grammar class included with every podcast. <laughs> um, wow. Yeah. 166 on your diagnostic is fucking amazing. I expect you to get into the 170s. 175 plus does not seem unreasonable at all. And yes, you will naturally speed up as you study more. What do you want to say to that? Yeah, 166 is not pretty good. 166 is goddamn good. Yeah. It's possible there, you know, because it's only one data point, you, you do have to remember that your your diagnostic could have been lucky or unlucky. When I see a 166 diagnostic, you know, it's sort of easy to presume luckiness there right if we talk about because the base rate of the population people aren't going to be scoring that high on average mm -hmm. and so it's kind of an unexpectedly high score so maybe it was an unexpectedly high score for you david on that diagnostic so you're now saying well i'm i'm way more accurate but i'm not finishing nearly as many questions leading to lower scores that makes me just think that maybe you got lucky a bit on your diagnostic 
not to, you know, not that you got 10 points lucky on your diagnostic, but someone, you know, starting around 160 or 162 is a that's a strong but not uncommon diagnostic. Right. Mm -hmm. But that same person, if that's really their average ability, they could easily score plus or minus five points. Right. Mm hmm. Putting mm -hmm. a 166 well within range of somebody who was just slightly lucky on the diagnostic. I just I really don't want David to get this idea that, oh, no, that strategy doesn't work for me. Slowing down doesn't work. I hope that he's feeling how good it feels to answer questions correctly, right, to learn that you can be accurate. Yeah. Hopefully he's feeling some strength in that. Yeah. And then from there, of course, he'll go faster. Yeah. Um, by learning to disrespect the answer choices. You know, you just I was really noticing in my double black diamond class yesterday as I was doing a bunch of explanations. Mm. I really don't read the entirety of most answer choices. Mm -hmm. I read a few words of most answer choices. Yeah. And that comes from slowing down because I I have to really be confident in what the argument said and what the question's asking or what the passage said and what the question's asking to make these good, strong predictions, because then I can tell when answer choices are just completely meandering. You got to watch yeah. out, Ben, for those meandering answer choices. You've noticed them, I'm sure, where it's like it it's just it kind of goes over here and then it goes over there. And then it's like saying all the words from the passage, you know, so it's like giving you these it's like, well, no, I'm totally talking about the right thing that I'm supposed to be talking about. And they're just leading you on in these various directions, you know, just toying with you. Yeah. And you've got to learn that, like that first clause, if it's not going in the direction of a correct answer, then and many times it's already explicitly wrong in just a few words. Yeah, well, <laughs> And I, I want to use the word that you just used. You said confident. When you're confident in the passage and you're confident in your prediction, that can help you eliminate answer choices. But there's also confidence in the wrongness of a certain direction that an answer is going. And that confidence yeah. comes from understanding the test more and more. There are so many wrong answers where three words in, four words in, I am 100% confident that yeah. that is wrong and I yep. am done. And people are like, wait, 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 hold on. Sorry. I really thought this was the answer because, and so not only did they debate this answer, they read the entire thing, right? Yeah. Like the, Oh, they and probably so the, read the, the entire thing three times. Yeah. Cause they're like, wait, oh, is that it? Or is it this other one? And they're getting caught up on the other bullshit that's in the answer. Yeah. When the first four words said, if, X is true. And you're then, like, nope. <laughs> and it's like, wait a second. I need to know what happens if X is false. Yeah. Yeah. Or the other way around, whatever it yeah. is. It's like, whatever no, it is. There are yeah. many times where those first few words are like, well, I don't care what you say after that. Yep. And, and people are like, wait, wait, what? But are you saying that every time a, an answer starts with if it's going to be wrong? It's like, no, <laughs> you don't understand the test. No. You need to understand everything that's going on. And then I can help you understand why that is a problem in this case. And if you understand that, then you're going to understand why that's why that kind of problem 
which may or may not have to do with if-then statements or whatever, is going to appear in other cases. But that comes from understanding when you get questions wrong. So that's that's you're on the right path, David, and everyone else needs to get on that path. They need to focus on accuracy and they need to 100% focus on understanding every question that they miss. Yeah, just stop thinking about speed, David, because the place where we're going is effortless speed. Like the people who are really good at this, they make it look easy, not hard. Because it's easy for them. Right. <laughs> it, that, that is what I'm saying is that we're, <laughs> we're making it easy for ourselves. Yeah. But but not by thinking ever about speed, because the second we start thinking about speed, then now we're going to make it hard. It's just going to be too hard to to digest all of it. You're just shoveling too much into your mouth <laughs> without enough time to chew is it's not going to work. I mean, you, you said d- stop thinking about speed. I agree 100 percent. Also, just stop thinking about scores. Right. Hopefully right. our discussion of variance helps people realize that there's not that much to glean from these ups and downs. That's to be expected. But it's such a it's such a blunt number. It's like, what do I mean by that? It's 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 uh, very imprecise. Right. It's just oh, never you- productive. Like, oh, wait, you got a 170? Yeah, but what questions did you get wrong? And what do you understand about those questions now, today, in this moment? It's it's like going into the doctor and saying, I have aches and pains. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's like, okay, but but where and how long and what did you do? And yeah, yeah, yeah. let's get more specific. I'm just, I just don't feel good, doc. Like, help me out. <laughs> in David's case, it's like, yeah, um... Boy, feeling pretty good mostly yeah. with the 166, you know? Yeah, yeah. But then I slowed down and then I I was, I, 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 I am answering, I have way, what did he say? Way higher accuracy, something like that. Way more accurate. I am way yeah. more accurate. I'm way more accurate, but I'm, but, but I'm feeling a little worse. Mm-hmm. We can't, we can't diagnose you from the just top level. We have to look at well, what is it that's bothering you? Yeah. Specifically. Yep. Complaining about your overall health isn't going to do it. You know, you got to be like, no, I'm pretty sure I tore something right here in my arm. I heard it pop. I have pain when I do this. And, you know, the equivalent of that is this question that I missed. Yep. I think David's doing great. I think David's going to kill it. Yeah. Keep us posted. Let us know what happens. Anonymous has an email that says waiting, uh, sorry, wait for next cycle, question mark. Hi, guys, I'm a senior debating whether to apply this cycle. Nope. Bad boy. What are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) I don't. Yeah. The answer to that question is no, because it's like, do you have your final LSAT? And I just know that this person doesn't. Yeah. So if you don't have your final LSAT, then it's a waste of time for us to talk about application cycles. Yeah. You should decide when to apply after you're done with the LSAT. Yep. Anyway, so this anonymous, you know, we're in planning mode now instead of like action mode. Action mode is, no, I really need to rehab this one thing right here in my shoulder. What do I do to rehab this thing in my shoulder? Or what do I do to fix this one logical reasoning question that I don't understand? 100%. But instead of... You start. <laughs> Go ahead. Fix your shoulder and then sign up for the next tournament. Yeah. Because who knows how long it's going to take you to fix it? Right. You might be in rehab for six months. Who knows? Right. Hopefully not. But right. Well, and there's there's also we. It's a six week 
um, six week lead time to register for a tournament tournament being the LSAT. Yeah. And you don't need to make decisions until your practice test scores are exactly where you want to be or damn near where you want to be. Yeah. Okay. So anonymous, we're just trying to encourage everybody to, to ask questions that are specifically oriented toward individual LSAT questions. I understand that you can't do this for a public podcast because licensing restrictions, and we can't talk about LSAT individual LSAT questions in a public forum like this. That's what we do in LSAT demon. But if you were in, you know, if you were one of our students and you wanted to talk to us about anything at all, it's really most important that we talk about individual questions that are bothering you rather Mm -hmm. than any of these timeline cycle test registration. It's it's really pretty simple. Are you happy with your practice test scores? If If so, sign up for the next practice test. And then the only other decision is if you're thinking about applications, it's are you happy with your official LSAT on record? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Is it the beginning of the application cycle? Yeah. Okay. Then you can apply. And the beginning mm-hmm. of the application cycle is in September. Yep. But if you're not ready at the beginning of the application cycle, then we're not like you just, and you're only going to be ready when you're done, done, done with the LSAT. So yeah. you just, that's like, it's an unanswerable question. Should I apply this cycle? You shouldn't be thinking along those lines. ideally. Yeah. Okay. I've taken the LSAT three times, a 159 canceled, a 164 and a 166 and have been PTing in the 169 to 172 range. I have a 3.6 GPA. I got a 4.1, my first three semesters transferred and got around a 3.2 to a 3.4 E. But it has increased to a 3.7 ish in the last two semesters. Interesting. Since transferring, I haven't joined any clubs and I have no extracurriculars. Don't really. That doesn't matter very much, except for some part time jobs. LSD law and your scholarship predictor indicate that I should receive a full ride at my in-state school ranked 30th. That's lsatdemon.com forward slash scholarships. You can play with our free scholarship predictor tool. My goal is big law and it has a 16% rate, which Mm. seems risky. Okay. So he's saying that 16% of the people that go to his in-state school ranked 30th end up getting big law jobs. That's what it sounds like. That's pretty harsh, man. Like if you're going to get a big law job, you got to go you got to go pretty high, pretty high. I mean, or you've got to really kill it at a small school. Yeah. You got to be in the top of your class to be considered. And that, that could be better in some cases than being in the middle of your class at some other school. But yeah, 16%, that's a, that's a low probability. You know, you got to think about what's happening here, right? This is a winnowing process where they're just like, this is the big law firms that get paid big money to litigate like ginormous shit and they're like they're they're filtering to get the true killers so you go to a mid-ranked school third you know a 30th ranked school that's a i think we should probably refer to those as a uh, regional school it's not like you're going to go there and then write your ticket all around the globe like you would from harvard law school right yeah they do have big law placement but only 16% of their school is going to get those big law jobs. This is going to be a whole bunch of 
really smart, really hardworking people, tons of them are wanting to get into big law because that's where the money is. Yeah. Notice, I'm sure that that 16% is coming from the top 20% of the class. Some of the top class is yeah. going somewhere else, but yep. it's not coming from the middle or the bottom. Right. So you got to do. Yeah, because that's how the well. law firms do their hiring. Yeah, they're just yeah. like, hey, we, you know, we're going to talk to the people who we're outsourcing that selection process to 1L professors, essentially. Yep. I mean, they're still going to interview the shit out of you and all that, but they. Why would they waste time on someone who has a three, two, right? They're not going to do that. It's just, they have to filter through hundreds and of applications per firm. So. Yeah. And look, uh, an anonymous, right? Um, you have a three, six right now. I don't know. Law school is probably only going to get harder when it comes to GPA. Yeah. I wonder why you're not getting perfect grades. You know, the, the people, the big law killers, Mostly they got really good grades in college. Yeah. You know? Can you do that now? Just drop the LSAT. Focus on your 3.7. Get it up to a 4.0 this semester right now. Yeah. <laughs> I was talking about checklist stuff earlier, but yeah. LSAT is actually not the first thing in our GLAD process. No. Nope. The first thing is GPA. You're still an undergrad. You have some um, rehabilitation that needs to happen on your GPA. And keep the in law. mind, you're, you're not just doing that to get into a law school. Granted, that will help you, but you're doing it to prove to yourself that you can get a 4.0 in undergrad, increasing your chances of maintaining a high GPA in law school. You could also send a ton of emails and make phone calls and go even better, go visit people in person. Can you get any of these old grades changed for whatever reason? Because like, yeah, your your GPA is not looking like a big law GPA. Anyway. My goal is big law and it, my, this school has a, only a 16% rate, mm -hmm. but I'm pretty debt averse. So the full ride seems enticing. Now that's not an offer that's actually on the table yet. Uh, you haven't applied yet, but our predictors are saying, yeah, you should probably get a full ride at that school mm -hmm. based on the number of full rides they give out and the LSAT and GPA of the incoming class. If I waited I would try to work at the public defender's office, volunteer places, and grind to hopefully get a 3.9 this semester. I feel like I could do better on the real test, but I haven't gotten near my PTs. Well, because you're still improving. I mean, you're whatever. You're underperforming your your PT range. Yeah. Um, as you continue to get you're just that just means you're getting better at the test. So maybe I'm deluding myself. Please help. <laughs> Love you and thank you. I mean, maybe the numbers have changed since uh, Anonymous wrote in, but I put in 166 and a 3.6 into the estimator, and I'm not seeing any full rides for any schools that are ranked 30. URM? Try that. Okay. That does make a full ride for Ohio State if Anonymous is a URM. And that's ranked 30th? Yep. So if that's what we're talking about here is Ohio State, and if Ohio State sends 16% of their class into big law, I don't know. What's <laughs> the real advice here is the same advice that we would give to anybody else, right? You need to get straight A's from this point forward. And if you can, you need to get some of those prior grades, the bad ones, scrubbed from your record or, or rehabilitated in some way. Not everybody can do that, but you can ask. And they sometimes say yes. Better GPA would help you a lot. And if you're still taking classes, 
Wait, you're hoping for a 3.9 this semester? I almost missed that part. What, how do you, how, what do you mean you're hoping for a 3.9? Well, Anonymous does say if I waited, I would try to work at the public defender's office, volunteer places, and grind to hopefully get a 3.9 this semester. If you oh. wait, which is what you should do, don't do the defender's office, don't volunteer places, yeah. grind, and get yeah. a 4.0. Or the best you can get. I mean, do the best you can. You know, I read a quote today that I don't agree with, but there is a kernel of truth in it. You're shaking your head. This person is about to make a real bad mistake. They're just clearly yeah. trying to rush into a cycle that they have no business being in. You yeah. got to take this process more seriously. You're rushing into this and you're you're doing everything shitty slightly. No, not not to say that you're doing a shitty job of life. I don't mean to say that at all, but you're for for high end, big law, legal standards. You're doing more than you can capably do with perfection. And yeah. you need to be showing, you got to just be demonstrating excellence. And you're saying that you're going to, if you take a semester off, you might be able to get a 3.9. Whoa. Okay. You definitely need to take a semester off and let's make that a 4.0. Yeah. Don't do any of this other stuff. So I, including I the LSAT. Yeah. Stop studying yeah. for the LSAT. If you can't get a 4.0, what are you doing? What are you doing? Go ahead. Anyways, this is the quote that popped up. Okay. Uh, again, I don't agree with it, but there's some truth here, and I think it applies to Anonymous. The quote was, you can do anything, but you can't do everything. Yep. And I don't agree that people can do anything. There are a lot of things people cannot <laughs> do. But I think the, the point is valuable, right? Anonymous, you can do almost anything, but you can't do everything, and you're trying to do everything. Do one thing and kick fucking ass at it. Get your grades as high as you can. Don't worry about anything else. Then we can talk about the LSAT. Yeah, between now and graduation, which I assume is this May. I mean, I, I also lost sight of the fact that Anonymous was actually asking about applying this cycle, as in apply February 28th yeah. for, for this year, which yeah. is like wildly late. I mean, you're months late. Yeah. And you're not even done yet. So, no, you're months late of late. I mean, you're no, this cycle, that ship has sailed. Yeah. Next cycle is actually not necessarily is not necessarily your best bet, but you've you've got a couple more attempts between now and September. And if you're capable of doing both school and LSAT at once, but you should start with the school. And if you can't get straight A's right now, then you should not be studying for the LSAT. Yep. So get straight A's right now. If you can do that, then you can study some LSAT at the same time. This summer, I think you just immediately, as soon as you graduate, finish your final classes, dive into the LSAT. And if you get your scores solidly up into the 170s, then you could use those precious two remaining attempts that you have for mm -hmm. the LSAT. Yeah. But yeah, you've done a lot of things so far that we wouldn't have done. You're, I don't know if somebody's pushing you into this. It's, it's not a good plan. Come to our parents night, by the way. Um, we talked about it at the top of the show. That's March, uh, 9th, 4 PM Pacific, 7 PM Eastern. You just need an LSAT demon free account, but we're going to talk about all that application cycle stuff. And, uh, sounds like you and maybe your support crew need to hear it. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for writing in. This next email is from Madison. She says, hello, I'm wondering if you would be able to provide any advice on my LSAT issue. Currently, when I take time sections individually, one a day, 
My accuracy varies around 75 to 85%. However, when I take the entire test, my accuracy drops to about 50 to 65% for each section. Is this normal? Do you have any advice on how to bring my accuracy on practice tests to reflect my time section scores? Is it possible this is just test anxiety or is it likely a different issue? Two things uh, that I would be guessing. First, you might not be taking your timed sections seriously enough. Like I understand that you're doing them, but maybe you're doing so many of them that you're just I don't know. Somehow you're being a little bit more casual with it, which is actually better. You need to take your practice sections. You need you need to treat them as if, OK, this is a it counts. It doesn't it sound maybe like Madison is not combining her sections together and then figuring out an LSAT score. Yeah. And the one a day did stick out to me as well. It almost feels like she's pulling on the slot machine. Like, let's oh, do three a week, Madison, one of each type. And take them seriously, like you're going to combine the three sections together and get an LSAT score. And that's a practice test. So you're going to take your practice sections seriously, presumably the way you're going to take the real test seriously. And then just continue focusing on accuracy. I mean, that's the thing. That's the only thing that matters is accuracy. By the way, 75 to 85 percent, that's like uh, good, but we would prefer it would be higher. Yeah. 85 to 95 to 100 would be ideal. Yeah. So, you know, you, you do need to work on your accuracy across the board, not just in these full tests. When you're doing the full tests, I have heard people say this, that, yeah, they like do better on time sections than they do on full tests. Um, they frequently hypothesize that it's a stamina issue. I don't think that it's really a stamina issue. One, Madison is saying it happens on each section, including the first section. So stamina shouldn't be an issue. Second, you know, taking a full test is two and a half hours, right? It, it's not this isn't a, and you're sitting down while you do it. So it's not like it's so intense that you're going to get tired at the end unless you are substantively not good enough at the test. So that's actually my second hypothesis, which is if you are struggling from if, you, if it is any kind of a stamina issue, then it's that really, I think you solve that by just getting better and 75% accuracy, you know, that indicates that you're having a hard time on at least 25% of the questions because you're missing 25% of the questions. Well, what about the remaining 25% of the questions that you might be getting, you know, there, you could be getting 25% of them right with like uncertainty. And so if you bump that up, if you start getting more like 90%, then it's just, you're not going to be struggling as much. Yeah. And if you're struggling like more on each individual question, but unlocking it instead of doing what you're doing now, which is struggling less on each individual question, but you're you're on so many que more questions. And so then it's like the test just seems hard and stressful. Yeah. What do you think? Is that? Is that yeah, that no, I, I agree with all that. I mean, I guess it's kind of saying the same thing. I, I, I do think she's probably whenever you go into a section, you need to focus on one question at a time. Right. Yep. And anytime you start thinking about the section as a whole, then your mind is slightly being pulled away from the question at hand. And you also start speeding up a little bit, making mistakes. These kinds of things happen. I think sometimes when people take an entire test, 
they just have, they're just like drawn to do that even more because they're thinking about not only trying to finish the section, but then they're like, oh, I have to finish this test. I'm just on the first set. It's like you got to in both the section and in the test, you got to keep pulling yourself back to the question at hand. And then that makes the tests in the sections even more similar. Yeah. Yeah. It's likely that that really got me thinking there, Ben, because it seems like we don't know what Madison is necessarily doing when she's doing just one timed section. She might Mm -hmm. be thinking about the section as a whole, but maybe Mm -hmm. she's doing a better job of staying focused on one question at a time. Mm -hmm. Regardless, when she's doing full tests, it does seem like she's probably thinking about the full test, you know, instead of thinking about the one question. So now it's like, instead of just thinking about the section, she might be sitting there going, Oh, I got to, Okay, this is section one of three or section one of four. If you're doing an experimental section, you know, this is a Bert, you know, but hey, the clock is already ticking and you're supposed to be answering. You're supposed to be solving question number one. Yeah. You know that in your and in question number one, you're supposed to be solving that first sentence. Yep. Have you solved that first sentence yet? Or are you thinking about the test and your score and time how you did on the first section exactly yeah oh i'm so surprised that i hate it when reading comprehension is the first section you know (laughs) shit like that it's like well you had to do a reading comprehension section what fucking difference does it make if it's first second or third yeah they're all independent discrete sections so yeah students do spend way more time worrying about that stuff than is optimal you really should be thinking about one question. Yep. You got this, Madison. One question at a time. Thank you, Madison. Pearls versus turds. Okay, so this is from Anonymous. I guess Abigail got it as a help email and forwarded it to us. Thanks, Abigail. Okay. Uh, so <clears throat> pearls versus turds is where we take some <laughs> advice that someone has heard and decide whether it's a pearl or a turd. Um, right now we have 25 pearls, 71 turds, and 26 ties. You want to read it? Sure. LR plateau problem. I think that I have a solution that goes against your recommendations, comma. I'm going to try it out and get back to y'all, colon. The problem is similar to reading comprehension. That's a bad colon, huh? By yeah. question 18... <laughs> By question 18, says Anonymous, my brain farts. I start taking a long time to comprehend sentences, semicolon. Since since the questions tend to get harder as they progress, the issues compound and I take even longer to comprehend and answer the last five to ten questions. This consistently resulted in minus seven, minus six, minus five, minus four, parentheses, being one of my best performances. However, when taken in isolation, I'm often able to answer the toughest LR problems, exclamation point. I mean, that gets back to what we just said to Madison. When you do one question on the at a time, whether that's in a section or in drilling, that's your best way to do well on that question. So I'm not surprised. I can see where this is about to go. Is that going to start at the end or something? Is that, is that what today you're on? Yep. Today on practice test J, which is the June 2007 test in the second logical reasoning section, I answered 13 questions and then jumped <laughs> to the last one. 
Ben's laughing. I did not have brain fog by this time and was able to focus the right amount of energy on these questions. I worked my way backwards, and when the brain fog hit, I was around question 16 or 17. This didn't stress me out, however, because I knew that the next five questions were likely easier than the ones before. I only missed one question out of 25, which is an all-time high for me. Additionally, I finished with time left over. I will let you know how this pans out in the future. For reference, the first LR section score was a 20 out of 25, where brain fog hit around question 13 or 14. Four of my five incorrect answers were on questions 15 and beyond, because that's where the harder questions are. In the second logical reasoning question, or in the second logical reasoning section, I got question (laughs) 17 incorrect right when the brain fog hit. And like this whole brain fog thing, this is a very natural human tendency, right? To come up with some story as to explain why certain phenomena are happening. It's circular reasoning. But it's not brain fog. (laughs) (laughs) You missed that one. You struggled with that one. Maybe you weren't prepared. Maybe you just didn't read it correctly. Maybe it's just a real hard question. Um, You know, this limited you're making your you have been improving. That's the thing to to, I want to stress on your previous sections, you got minus seven, minus six, <laughs> minus five, minus four. And then on this one, you got minus one. That looks like someone who is prepping for the LSAT. You're yeah. learning. You're yeah. getting better at the LSAT. Also, the June test. I mean, I know I know you kind of hate this sort of thing, Nathan, but I, I feel like that's one of the easier tests. I don't, I don't know why. It's always one I've questioned why they released that one. Gives people that like particular one. Yeah, that the games are easy. The reading comp is easy. Well, Everything hey, about it's fucking easy. Possible <laughs> even that uh, Anonymous had seen some of those questions in the past. I mean, I wrote they're all over my books and they're all over everybody's LSAT prep stuff because yeah. they're one of the only ones that we can talk about for free yeah. in licensing. I don't know that that happened for sure, but that could have been a contributing factor. I, I don't know. My grand hypothesis is you've been studying, you're improving. That one data point does not indicate that this is a better strategy. I think it's a terrible strategy. I think that you are, if you're going to run out of time, you're going to be running out of time on easier questions (laughs) instead of harder questions, which is dumb. Even if you don't run out of time, as far as energy management goes, you got to stop just having this possibility. Oh, brain fog. Yep. That was brain fog on that one. (laughs) You know, that that hit me. Yeah. Your honor. The reason why I did not make that claim in my brief is due to brain fog. Yeah. I typically hit it around three fourths through my briefs. I just, I don't know. Yeah. So (laughs) I understand that I'm facing a motion for summary judgment because I failed to allege a claim that is necessary in order to pursue my uh, nonetheless, <laughs> the brain fog is what I don't know. Is it, it like stop? You gotta. That's not a thing. Read more carefully. Answer the questions correctly. This is lawyer shit. Yeah, I mean, and look, <clears throat> anonymous said here. When taken in isolation, I am often able to answer the toughest LR problems. Good. Exclamation point. So is everyone else. Yeah. So so just do that as you go through the section. When you get when you get to your brain fog questions, just answer that one question. I think that's where you start thinking about this stuff. You're like, oh, this is where brain fog comes in. I got these odd questions. Anonymous is closely (laughs) monitoring their 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 brain weather. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. (laughs) 
we got brain fog moving in off the coast, uh, starting around question number or starting around minute 20 or whatever. It's like, all right, look, what question are you supposed to be answering right now? Yeah. Yep, exactly. It's a uh, yeah, we need to return to the task at hand. Uh, anyway, that's a turd. You know, even if it works out for you, uh, anonymous, it's still a turd because you if you're capable of finishing the section and answering them all correctly or here all but one. You are also going to be capable of doing that just in order. And you're going to want to do that generally in order. Why would you do? I mean, yeah, this do the easier ones first. If you're trying to ensure that you're going to get the most points out of the section, you should try to do the easier ones first. And they're roughly in order, increasing order of difficulty. So any of this start at the end or skip to the end, any of that shit is like, well, on average, you're skipping toward harder questions. So do you really want to do harder questions? Right now, given the fact that you might run out of time for whatever reason. No, you don't want to do harder questions right now. You would prefer to run out of time on those hardest, harder questions. By the way, there's like a little bit of a related myth that the last question in the section is always easy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's not. There are plenty of sections where the very last question in logical reasoning is the hardest question in the section. That happens all the time. Well, just stop thinking about all that stuff. Exactly. Right? Just just yeah. like go one <laughs> right. through twenty five. Good luck. Right. Yeah, <laughs> we do this. We do the questions in order. Yeah. yeah. All right. This next email here is also from anonymous. The subject is Cornell is no place to be depressed. Ooh. OK, oh. this is for you. All right. Great. As a longtime listener, I keep hearing people on your podcast who write in asking if they should talk about their mental differences in their personal statement. I've linked an article from a Cornell professor who talks about how Cornell has an informal policy of rejecting all students who mention having depression or other similar illnesses. <laughs> That's probably illegal. Yeah, so. <laughs> but it's an informal policy. And so if you can't prove that they do it, I mean, here's a professor saying, hey, we're doing it. That's a little weird to like make it so public, but OK. Yeah, well, maybe this professor is like, hey, this is fucked up. You know, just oh, yeah. like uh, what yeah. was it? Columbia blowing the whistle on themselves. For, yep. The math uh, professor. Yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. For uh, what was that? That was for great inflation or. F no, for uh, giving the wrong data to. Oh, right. Lying to the, to the college board. No, that or, was because oh, it was the undergrad. It was yeah, the undergrad. Yeah. 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 So maybe this professor has tenure and is like, fuck it. You guys are. Yeah. We don't like this. I don't like this policy. He even included a quote from the director of admission. And here's the quote. There are times when a disclosure of an existing psychological or emotional problem will be a factor in a decision. <laughs> Look, the professor doesn't have to say this, even if even if someone is has the best intentions in the world. These things are going to be a factor. Fuck yeah, it's a factor. The decision. <laughs> it doesn't matter yeah, whether it's a factor. Yeah, it's it's just impossible to avoid <laughs> whether it's legal. Different question. Whether it's moral, whether it's moral, question. totally different question, whether it's real. Yeah. Fucking obvious. Of yeah. course. Mm -hmm. And I think that if we are honest with ourselves, we would acknowledge that we do skim similar, dis uh, similar discrimination all the fucking time. Yeah. It's not part of our best nature, but attributes, you know affect our decisions and sometimes somebody comes to us with an attribute an attribute of yeah depression yeah it's especially when you're looking your at yeah when you're looking at two people with the same numbers it just right 
They never have to say why they picked one person over another. They may not even know why. They may just oh, like it, be it, like, exactly. yeah. It could totally be subconscious. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It's tough. We're not justifying this in any way. We're just no. saying be aware that it likely happens, which is why we would encourage you not to write about this in your personal statement. It's and also I bet strange. You do it in your own personal life. You know, you might not do it with depression specifically, but you do it with other things all the time. Yeah. And it's just it's just human nature. It's like, yeah, somebody's telling you a bad like a like a uh, if they're telling you a story that's related to like their own personal, I don't know, hi history attributes, uh, you're taking it all in and then you're making decisions about them that you don't even know how you're being influenced by their whole presentation. Exactly. Yeah. We can try our best not to. And, you know, the this, this seems like a violation of the Americans with Disabilities Act. Yeah. And so they could probably get prosecuted for this type of shit. But what's to stop a law school director of admissions? You know, the person, whoever makes the final decision, what's to stop them from subconsciously or consciously denying uh, applicants who diagnose, you know, who who disclose this type of shit? And doing it in secret. I mean, you could just, right? Like, oh, this, you get pushed back, it's illegal, whatever. So then you just, you just, that's why they keep saying the system is a holistic, not just for this, but for so many other reasons. So they can make decisions without much oversight. Ben, you've yeah. had difficult students in the past, probably not as often as I have because you're a little easier to get along with. Mm. I've had difficult students in the past. and it's only honest to acknowledge that of the difficult students that I've had, where it's like people have disrupted the classroom environment, like really not followed along with what we're, what I'm trying, you know, like people that have been bad for the experience of the other, of their fellow students. Mm -hmm. I'm just stating a fact when I say that if I think back to the, the students that were really problematic, I know that they had mental mental health problems like these are it's like I can think I can I could think of three of them off the top of my head yeah, yeah. that are like and it's sad right it's unfortunate but these are people who I know they disclosed to me that they had some uh cognitive difference or challenges or whatever you want to call it I didn't care are they in my class I'm going to treat them like a normal student that's just we're whatever we're <laughs> we're I'm about the LSAT you know yeah. like let's get yeah. to work but yeah those those students were like they caused problems in the classroom that were not conducive to like running a productive class. And over time, I might learn a bias against those against people who disclose that type of thing. Yeah. If I was a law school, I'm sure that law, or an undergraduate school, I'm pretty sure that the people who have the biggest, you know, like the school shooters or whatever, those are people who have psychological and emotional problems. I'm yeah. not saying all everyone with psychological and emotional problems is a school shooter. <laughs> no, no. I am saying that like it, it's apparently a problem that's growing exponentially. I, I, the the number of undergrads that matriculate to some undergrad school, some university with a mental health challenge is something like forty percent these days. It's crazy. I'm sure it's gone. Diagno yeah. well, diagnoses have gone through the roof, roof partially yep. because of people wanting to game the test prep 
system or get extra time and special preferences in their classes. And, you know, it's a free for all. Well, we also had COVID and stuff like that. And that led to problems. Right. And and part of it is an awareness, uh, like a very genuine awareness of mental health. Yeah. That people are just, you know, we're more open about it. And like, I've Mm -hmm. been treated for depression. I'm not ashamed to talk about depression. Mm hmm. But like if I was going for a job interview, I wouldn't talk about my depression. Yeah. Well, I also don't see how it's an argument in your favor. Right. I mean, let's just get back to, okay, you're writing a personal statement to introduce yourself. What's your elevator pitch? Is it, I had depression for six years or I, you know, I think they want to argue that they overcame it or they're trying to explain some negative part of their past, but you can talk about anything in your past. Let's talk about things you did well. Let's focus on that. Well, let's see the photograph of you at the top of Mount Everest instead of the arduous mountain you had to climb to climb Mount Everest, right? It's just like you don't have this is an elevator pitch here. So did you make it or did you not make it? And if you did make it, then I want to hear about the good like like tell me the things that are the best about you. Yeah. But I don't think you're your struggle to get there. It's like people are trying to at once acknowledge their bad grades in undergrad or acknowledge their bad LSAT by talking about this like obstacle that they've had to overcome. And then it it all just comes off as this whole, just a big bundle of like negativity, you know, yeah. it's like a plea for sympathy instead of a, no, I'm going to come be a killer at your school. Yeah, and if you dig deeper, you'd find out that I had some challenges, but I, look, I am over, I overcame them and I'm successful, but I didn't talk about those things because I don't need to, because I yeah. am successful and that's what I want to be. And that's what I'm going to focus on going forward. It's yeah. certainly not, you know, dishonest in any way to leave that type of thing out of your story when you're applying to law schools no. or applying for a job. Nope. Anonymous ends with a question here, which I think we've thoroughly answered. While this article was talking about undergrad admissions at Cornell, do you think this type of policy is widespread among law schools? Yes, or very likely. Maybe not this policy, like this informal policy, but at least something like it is happening. (laughs) Okay, enough of that. Cool. Yeah. So this next one here is from Braden. It's you. Demon team, I foolishly applied this cycle with a subpar LSAT score and have gone back to studying with the demon since applying. I've increased my score by 20 points in four months. I plan on making it at least a 26 point increase by the time by the time I take my next official test. Okay, so, you know, obviously that means shooting for 170 or something and started at a 144. Okay. I was wondering what I need to do to withdraw my applications parentheses, both denials slash wait lists and acceptances. Do I need to take action or is letting them expire and not doing anything appropriate? Thank you for your time and all that you do as the demon team. Hail the demon exclamation point. Brayden. Eric put a quick note here uh, suggesting, well, send a quick email to the admissions committee. The school may not respond, but they will withdraw your app include your LSAC number in the email. So that's what you do if you need to, for some reason, withdraw your application. Do you need to withdraw your application though? Probably no, I don't not. Think, no, the, if you don't do anything, they're going to eventually <laughs> well, just be like, okay, bye. You can do what they do. Yeah. Which is just ignore it entirely. 
Um, yeah. if, you, if they put you on the wait list, they're probably never going to tell you, oh, now we're officially denying you. You're just going to be on the wait list. Yep. And, and then, then school is going to start. start. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, oh, OK, I guess that was a no. Thanks. Yeah. And then you get to apply for the next cycle if you want. Mm-hmm. If you've gotten accepted, I guess there's a situation where you might need to den- uh, you might need to withdraw that application in order to get a scholarship from some other school. Mm. They'll tell you, though, right? You can only accept one offer. Mm-hmm. And when you accept that offer, there might be a stipulation that you withdraw all your other acceptances at other schools. Mm-hmm. Quick email seems like it does it. Anything nope. more for Braden? Yeah. I'm glad I'm glad you're doing it. Hey, you know, you could Burn do the nothing. Boats, right? Yeah, there's something powerful yeah. in sending that email because now you've committed your future self to this path. So you don't get tempted by these schools coming back to you with, oh, hey, we got you yeah. in at $10,000 off. And you're yeah. like, oh, maybe. No. I went back and we, just today, somebody canceled. Uh, they were they were going to get our prestigious assistant <laughs> associate um, librarian scholarship for. And it's, uh, yeah, it's $20,000 a year. You seem like the perfect fit given your credentials and your impressive application. <laughs> Exactly. And then you might, you know, your future self in a moment of weakness might decide, ah, fuck it. I'll just, I'll just take that. Yeah. So yeah, burn the boats and just withdraw, just send all those emails and you're done. That's what Ben Olson would do. (laughs) This next one is from Perry. Subject is April or wait. Hi, Ben and Nathan. Currently I have a 157 flex from the January, 2021 and a 3.84 UGPA. Okay, well, the flex is the same as the LSAT. So you have a 157 LSAT and you have a 3.84 UGPA. I decided to work instead of pay for law school, but ultimately I have decided it is something I want to pursue. I started studying again in January with but after discovering the podcast a few weeks ago, I have bought into the demon's style and mission. I've worked through most of the free stuff and I have started doing the one hour a day plan in basic My plan was originally to take the June, August, September, and October to take as many as possible for the 2024 admission cycle. I recently realized that my 157 does not count towards my five attempts, so I could take April even if I am not as prepared, even if I am not as prepared. My goal is to go, yeah. I like where Perry's head's at mostly. I mean, it seems like a, you know, if you are going to make any kind of a plan, you know, I, I would prefer, again, to go back to the advice that we gave to somebody up above. It's like, well, yeah. just decide whether you. But he is thinking thoughtfully here. I, I, I if, if you're going to make this cycle, look, you, you and you want to expend all your tests before doing so. There is something a little bit weird about it, though. Like you're kind of wasting the April test if you're not prepared for it. Right. And. Maybe it's better to take four and then still have one shot. Just so that you barrel. have the backup to the backup so that, you, yeah, so that October like, isn't the last possible attempt. Yeah. Just so that, you know, well, I always have one more. You can always delay one more cycle and take the test if you can't get ready by October, which is why I think we always tell people, make sure you're ready and then you take the test. And then once you get your score, then you look at applying. Perry continues, my goal is to go on a full ride to a school in the Rocky Mountain region. So I think a 165 could open up some of those doors. You think it could? Why don't you take a look at the scholarship estimator? That being said, should I use an attempt in April 
or stick to my plan and take in June. I I don't care about timelines as much, Perry. I'd much rather you just kill it. You have a 157? Was that your was that close to your diagnostic? Like you have the potential to get in the 170s, maybe? I don't know. There's a lot of unknowns here. We expect that most people are going to improve by 10 points or more in LSAT Demon, and frequently we get 15, 20, 25 even 30 point improvements. Yeah. Settling for a 165 doesn't seem. Yeah. I mean, it seems like you could probably do better. Yeah. Ultimately, I think it probably doesn't matter very much. Perry's working hard at the LSAT. Clearly Perry's going to study, you know, progressively through June, August, September, October tests, if necessary, whether you take April or not, I don't really care. I I don't think, uh, I can make both arguments because yeah, it's easy to say, ah, I lean toward firing the bullet. You've been studying for a long time. You know, you're going to apply this cycle for sure. Why not just see how it goes? Um, but on the other hand, I do understand Ben's argument of like, well, but maybe the October test will be uh, less stressful if there's one more bullet there to be fired after maybe last email from, yeah. uh, Again, from Anonymous. Hi, Ben and Nathan. Oh, it says uh, score decreasing is the subject. Hi, Ben and Nathan. I've been using the Demon Live for just over a month. I started out with a diagnostic of 150, and after two weeks of drilling and timed sections, I scored a 165. Okay, great. 15-point improvement right off the bat after two weeks. (laughs) Okay. I'm confident that I can score into the 170s, but feel like I'm going backward now. My last two PTs have been 159 and 156 on time sections in PTs. LG has remained minus one, minus two. LR is hit or miss minus one, minus two or minus seven to minus 10. And RC is bad minus seven to minus 14. I have a few questions. One, should I be worried that my score is decreasing or is that just part of the process? Go ahead, Ben. Yes, it's definitely just part of the process. Uh, stop focusing on scores, start focusing on the questions you got wrong and just try to understand why you missed the ones you missed. And I don't want you to be so focused on your scores that you get a 165, a 159, a 156, and then you panic and take another test just to see if you can get a 160 or something. That's not how you get better. You get better by saying, okay, what happened? How did I get a 156? And that means looking at the questions that you got wrong. That's that's and the process. There's just a ton of variance here. I mean, mm-hmm. the 150 diagnostic could have been a little unlucky. The 165 diagnostic could have been a little lucky. Yeah. The 159 and the 156 seem like they're right in the middle of your range. I mean, this just looks like anybody's bell curve. The only difference is the order in which the data points pop up. But that doesn't really make any difference. That's just randomness. Your journey is related to understanding one more question today than you did yesterday. Just figuring out one more mistake. Yeah. Uh, you got to let go of the scores. It's all just statsturbation. If you're not talking about an individual one mistake you've made, then it's basically just statsturbation, right? Yeah. Number two, what can I do to address my inconsistencies in logical reasoning? Do I just not understand it as well as I think I do? Or is that normal early on? It's both. You don't understand it as well as you think you do. And that's normal early on. (laughs) Yeah. It looks to me like you're a minus uh, five Five. Mm -hmm. 
but that's going to sometimes be minus one and sometimes it's going to be minus 10. And that's just because as a minus five, there are five that you can't solve. And there are probably another five that you sometimes random, you know, with a little bit of variance. I think 50 fifties are a good example, right? There's five that you straight up miss. There's five that you're getting right. All 10 of those could have just basically been 50 fifties. Yeah. And so sometimes, yeah, you, Oh, Hey, I got minus one on the section. Damn. I really understand this stuff, but other times minus 10, I don't understand any of it, but all it's been is just your luck on your coin flips, essentially. Yeah. You know, it's funny because these two questions are really, they have the same answer. What do you do? Stop focusing on your score. Stop focusing on your score. Focus on the individual questions you got wrong and just learn from them. Just keep coming back. One question at a time. Yeah. And we don't care about the variance. We just don't really care about these statistics. You know, Mm -hmm. minus one for a section is a statistic. Minus 10 for a section is a statistic. Each individual one of those mistakes is something that we can actually learn from. And that's the only thing we should be talking about. Ultimately, number three, something about reading comp doesn't click. Again, uh, anonymous said minus seven to minus 14. Okay. I know it's quote easy and the answers are all in the passage, but even when I slow down and think I understand the passage, I rarely score a hundred percent. That's as in drilling to doing mm-hmm. one passage at a time, rarely scoring a hundred percent. What can I do in addition to slowing down <laughs> when reading to make sure I comprehend everything I read? Okay. Well, it may not necessarily be what you need to do while you're doing the passage. It may need to be after you're done. And you you said you didn't get 100% correct, right? So again, why not? Go back and read the passage and read the answer and try to figure out what you misunderstood. Did you misunderstand something that you read in the passage? Or did you misunderstand what the question was asking? Or did you misunderstand what one of the answer choices was saying? Or figure some combination that out. of those three things, probably yeah. in some cases. Yeah, it, we're giving you the same answer for all these questions. I guess I want to dig in a little bit to this in addition to slowing down comment, mm. because it's not that slowing down is a goal in itself, right? We're not telling you, oh, you only you for sure. Oh, you went too fast. Two passages. <laughs> <laughs> you know? yeah. Yeah. We don't we don't care. If as long as you get them right, we don't care whether you went fast or slow. We just want you to get them right. And yeah. If someone says I finished the section right. early. Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. If they if they finish the section early, we're like, oh, why are you doing that? And they're like, yeah, I got 100 percent correct. It's like, OK, cool. Have a great day. <laughs> yeah. Um, but when you're. You need to feel what it feels like to comprehend. Mm hmm. Like there's a story there. Are you getting excited about this story? Have you figured out a way to get some skin in the game? Do you do you give a shit about this passage? A good example is this. Uh, I think it's a pretty recent passage. The the reading comp passage about perfume. Oh, are you well, familiar with that? Yeah, of course. They talk about perfume and they try to treat it like art or something like that. I had it in class just the other night. And people right off the bat in the chat in Zoom are like, I hate the ones that are about art. I hate the ones that are about criticism. Yeah. And that is a passage about art criticism. But it's hilarious in 
It's just the absurdity of the argument that they're making. Mm-hmm. And if you're doing it right, you end up enjoying the passage, or at least from my perspective, I end up getting so pissed. It's like fake pissed. You know, I'm like yelling at the speaker yeah. because their thesis ultimately is that perfume is every bit as important of a fine art as yeah, like oil painting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or what else did they, pro- they also said symphonies and they also said the oh architecture. That was the one that made me laugh out loud. Mm. It's like, oh yeah, sure. Sure. Yeah. This, perf- this masterpiece of perfume that's as good as the empire state building mm-hmm. yeah. similar levels of talent and, and sophistication there. and yeah <laughs> yeah artistry and, <laughs> but you can find this like joy in joy in reading really right like mm-hmm. so read a lot i f- try to figure out how to read for pleasure anonymous if you're not already doing that i think reading for pleasure could help you a lot in the long run in the short run you've got to take one passage at a time and one sentence at a time, and you've got to find a way to get, you've got to get into it. And I then, like that idea. Get into the story. Yeah. Not just be apart from it. Right. It's like, Hey, join the conversation with this right. author. Even if you think they're fucking crazy. Or, I mean, you could react the other way too, right? You could be like, Oh my God, I've for my whole life, I've been thinking that perfume, I mean, my grandma's perfume and it like it had some touches of, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) of lemon. Well, going off about it, like people go off about wine, talking about leather and tannins and bullshit. Yeah. And you could find a way to be engaged. And if you do, I think you're going to comprehend a lot more of the passage. Final tip, and then I'll shut up on the questions themselves. You should be trying to predict the answers. I think you're probably not doing that. I mean, I, I'm sure you're probably you're not doing that. At least you're not doing it successfully, because if you were doing it successfully, your scores would be much higher. You you can learn that on reading comp and logical reasoning, both. You can frequently know what the answer is before you ever read answer A. Mm-hmm. It just makes it so easy because it, it means that you don't have to wade through these bullshit wrong answers. Yeah. So. So slow down to engage with the passage to increase your comprehension. Slow down to predict answers, not just try to go slow, but instead slow down so that you can see if you can predict these answers before you ever read them. Mm -hmm. That's my final thoughts. Sounds good. Thanks for writing in anonymous. Be LSAT famous. Please ask questions or share news with us at thinkinglsat.com. If you have questions about the LSAT demon, you can email help at lsatdemon.com. You can also check out our other podcast, LSAT Demon Daily. That was episode 392 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school.